Last week, we started a new series. We're calling this series Fruitful. And over the next few weeks, we're digging deep into two verses of Scripture that are found in the New Testament. And we know these verses as the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this, this section of Scripture is in a letter written by Paul to churches in a region called Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And specifically in these verses, Paul is trying to teach these followers of Jesus what happens when you submit your life to Jesus, like when you invite Him to lead your life, that when we belong to Jesus, the Spirit of God moves in and begins to transform us, and, we begin to, and He begins through us to produce all this different fruit. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, here's, uh, here are the verses that we're, we're landing in. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So can we just pause and look at this list and think about this for a moment? Like, how refreshing would it be to come across a person, like right now, like today, who's embodying all these things in their life, right? Like, wouldn't that be like a breath of fresh air? And, and wouldn't your interaction with them uh, stand out as something that you'd remember? Well, Paul wants his readers to understand that as God's Spirit begins to grow this fruit in our lives, it begins to change us and to mark us so that the people we interact with can actually see the work of Jesus in our lives, how it is changing us, not just by what we say, but by how we live and how we interact with others. So last week, we looked at the importance of cultivating the type of soil that actually grows good fruit in our lives. So to be clear, this is not a to-do list. This isn't a to-do list that we have to figure out how to make ourselves more loving, more patient, more faithful. I think we made that pretty clear last week, but we're gonna, we've gotten this so wrong for so long in the church that I'm just going to keep repeating this throughout this series, probably every week, that this is not a to-do list. This is the work of the Spirit in us. Oh, but you and I do have a role to play. See, there's this internal battle that is happening right now in each and every one of us, and it looks like this. So like we can yield and submit to whatever makes us feel good, right? Or whatever makes us happy in the moment, whatever we think is best for us, or we can yield and submit to Jesus. We can yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So there's this constant battle that's going on inside of us. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is the fruit that can grow out of the fertile soil of a heart submitted to the Spirit of God. It doesn't just grow naturally uh, on its own. So again, I can't stress this enough. Paul says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And first in the list is love. And we're going to park right here today. The New Testament was uh, originally written in Greek. And I don't know if anybody here of Greek is your first language. Uh, but so we, I think we just need to remember that as we study scripture, that's the very first thing to get into when we're talking about context of scripture. And in the New Testament, whenever you see the word love in English, it's one of two Greek words in the New Testament. There are four Greek words for love, but there are two in the New Testament. Phileo or agape. Phileo means like to be a friend or to be fond of an individual or even an object. It means having affection for like a matter of sentimental feeling, right? Agape 
is the most common word translated love in the New Testament, but interestingly, it's the least common word for love in classic Greek literature. So it's something that really is elevated in the writings of the New Testament. It describes a love that is the highest and noblest form of love, a love which sees something infinitely precious in its object. It's a love that values and esteems, and it is an unselfish love. Now, when we begin to talk about love, the English language, really, when you think about it, really fails us on a lot of levels because I can say that I love pizza, and I do, and I love my wife, and I do, but it's the exact same word, but clearly, I am expressing two different things. In our world, in most contexts, love is seen as kind of an emotional response that we have towards an object or even a person or a thing that brings us great pleasure. And that's why I can say I love coffee, and I do love coffee. It's also why I can say I love living on the coast of Maine in the summertime, or why I can say I love faith community, I love my church family. It's this, it's, it's this emotion that I have towards something or someone that brings me great pleasure. Now, the way that we love our wives or our husbands or children, our family. Uh, it's often this love, this emotion that we feel, and, and it's a beautiful gift from God. And everyone that breathes on this planet has the capacity for love, this natural emotional affection towards something that brings us great pleasure. But that's not necessarily agape. Agape love actually has very little to do with emotion or how you and I feel about something. It has everything to do with loyalty and steadfastness and even sacrifice. So if we're going to give a real-world definition of agape, it would be a demonstration of our commitment to someone that is shown by how we act towards them, whether we feel feelings of love or affection towards them or not. So if we look at the story of God all through the Scripture... What you find is the steadfast love of God, the unconditional drive, not, not, not based on emotion uh, for us, but based on a covenant, based on loyalty and fidelity, based on the unconditional love that exists in the heart of God. We look at another passage from the New Testament in uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not, uh, know, does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is agape. The divine heartbeat of God beats with the rhythm of agape. The divine heart of God beats agape love. It's not a love that's conditional. It's committed. It's steadfast. It perseveres. See, a lot of the things you and I love, it's conditional, and even in our relationships, it's conditional. At any moment when this object or this thing or this person stops bringing us pleasure, we choose not to love anymore. Like when marriages are set on the foundation of how I feel towards you today or how I feel towards you during a certain season in life, that may be a certain kind of love, but it's not agape. Agape says, unconditionally, I am committed to you. And I think the very concept of unconditional love is misunderstood. And I did some research this week, and there's, there's, like, there's a lot of doubt as to whether humans are even capable of unconditional love, apart from, I would say, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Like, loving someone unconditionally means that you are loving the very essence of the individual, just as they are. 
like despite what they do or fail to do, like with, with no expectation of anything in return, including love. That's why agape love is an action. It's not just a feeling. And, and, it, and it can be a feeling, like that's part of love, but not necessarily agape, But because it, it's so much more than that. It is a conscious choice that, that we make repeatedly, like moment by moment. Unconditional love is the complete and total acceptance of a person, listen, as is. Agape love is so hard. It doesn't come naturally out of our hearts. It's only through the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. You ever been in that awkward moment at a wedding? There's so many of them, but that one where they... <laughs> you should see it from my perspective. But anyway, um, two people staring at you with this look of horror on their face. Um, uh, what am I saying? Oh, yeah, that awkward moment at a wedding where they're reading 1 Corinthians 13 which honestly has nothing specifically to do with marriage. But it's tradition, so we read it at every wedding. It says this, love is patient. Love is kind. You're like, oh, yeah, I know that one. And the whole time you're sitting there as the minister is reading these verses, and you're like, I'm totally striking out on this. Like, I'm striking out on every one of these. I'm basically not nailing any of them. I'm failing every single one of these. And you're sitting in the wedding, like, with your spouse or with your significant other because it's a great dating scene. And there's a couple up there... Uh, that are, they're just like they're, they're just about to be married, and this is what you hear from 1 Corinthians 13. Love, agape, is patient. And you're like, not most of the time. Agape is kind. You're like, I'm not sure about that one. Agape doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It, doesn't, it isn't proud. And you're like, yikes. Here's one. Agape is not self-seeking. Like how many times in a marriage, in relationship? in our interactions with people in general, how often do we just get focused on what we're receiving? We get angry and we get frustrated and we don't receive what we want. But it says agape is not self-seeking. Or how about this one? Agape is not easily angered. Like how many times are we just angry with somebody? Agape isn't easily angered. Or this one. Agape keeps no record of wrong. Like how many of us have like secretly have this little list where we're just like, mm, oh, wow, okay. We're, we're keeping this list, like some of you have a Google Doc, I know you do, and we're, we're like ready for the next time that we're frustrated or angry with that person, and we're ready now for the next argument. We are armed. We're just going to unload the list and remind them of all the things that they've done, unrelated to the thing that really set us off, but we've got a list, and that's our approach to conflict. No, it says agape keeps no record of wrongs. Agape does not delight in evil, rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and agape never fails. The interesting thing about 1 Corinthians 13 is it wasn't written for marriage. It wasn't written about marriage. I mean, it certainly applies, but the original intended audience was the church. Followers of Jesus gathered in a local assembly. That's how we are supposed to live in relationship with other people, with the people sitting around you. And it's incredibly hard because agape requires self-sacrifice. It's, it's willingly giving up our own desires to be right, to get what we want, because there's a higher calling, right? There, and, and, and that is, the calling is to agape, faithfulness, fidelity, commitment, through conflict and disagreement. You're like, I am trusting at the end of this road we're on, agape doesn't fail. And how about this? Like, if agape, if love comes from the heart of God... 
and he's our father, and he's lavished that love on his children, according to 1 John, that if he's, he's, if he's patient towards us, like, why do we find it so difficult to be patient with others? And we're going to talk about that in this series. If he extends mercy to you, like every morning you wake up, God is extending new mercy, fresh mercy to you. Like, why do we not wake up every day then and let go of what happened yesterday and just embrace a new day? Why do we struggle to extend that same mercy to others? Or here's one. Why do we struggle to extend that same mercy to ourselves? Or like when someone expresses disagreement or even hatred towards us and we cancel them and write them off. Or when we, like, when we say to God, like, I don't need you in my life right now. The life you've called me to is too difficult. I can't do that. I can't buy into this. Like, here's the thing. God continues in agape love to show you mercy. He says, I will, like in agape love, continue to pursue you even when you run away from me because in agape, I am for you. So if we're honest, like the majority of us, we struggle to submit to the work of the Spirit. Our hearts are self-seeking. Our love is conditional. It's contingent on what gives me pleasure, what brings me joy. But God is calling us to more. Not only does he want us to fully experience his agape love, but because we have experienced it, because we've been on the receiving end of it, he wants us to extend that same agape to others. And again, 1 John 4, verse 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that he might, we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. The only way for us to truly love one another is to be first loved by God. So when we say God loved us, we're not saying God has had a feeling of emotion or sentimentality towards us, though I think he does, but God's agape for us shows up in the form of Jesus, like his love shows up. He shows up in the, it shows up in the form of Jesus, who is fully God and fully human, who died taking the penalty for our sin and who rose again in victory over death, conquering sin and death. This is the way that God showed his love, his agape, for us. His love showed up in our in the life of Jesus, in what we call the incarnation, right? God in the flesh. Jesus was the demonstration of the love of the Father for us. So it's, it's just not enough to say, we, to like say that we love one another. We have to demonstrate our love for one another because we've first been loved by God. So let's not miss this. We don't love one another so that God will love us. We get to love one another because God first loved us. So let's take this one step further. The New Testament records the life and ministry of Jesus in, uh, in his followers in what we call the Gospels. And in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, we find Jesus going around teaching with his followers, and someone in the crowd asked this question. They said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So what he's asking is, out of all the Jewish laws, what's the most important one? Can you boil it all down? To which Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, uh, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
And that's not that surprising. It's, it's, it's kind of what you would expect to hear from a Jewish rabbi, you know, because he's quoting the law. And then he adds this, and he says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus is identifying a real problem, a problem that still exists, like even in the church today. See, Jesus is holding both of these commands side by side. And he's like, you can't have one without the other. You can't say you love God and withhold love from someone. It's really a caution against uh, religion where we claim to follow the ways of God but have no love, no agape for the people around us. Jesus is basically saying it is impossible to love God with everything that we are if it doesn't also evidence itself in an increase of our love for other people. I read an Instagram post recently that asked this question. It said, where do you self-justify your lack of love for other people? That one made me stop and think. I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately. I think particularly in light of everything we've been through over the last couple of years, with all the strongly held opinions about just about everything, with all the angst and vitriol, where in your life have you been self-justifying your lack of love for your neighbor, for your coworkers, for your friends, for your fa- former friends, for your exes, for people who don't agree with you, for people who don't vote like you do, for people who don't worship like you do, for people whose lifestyle looks different than yours. If we go back to 1 John chapter 4 and keep reading down to verse 19, it actually says something kind of harsh and some harsh words for us around this idea. And it says, We love because he first loved us, and whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. So basically, there's a really simple way to know whether you are loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, like with all that you are. You evaluate through the lens of how you uh, think about the people in your life who upset you the most. Like, do it this way. Like, whoever claims to love God but hates, and fill in the blank. Fill in the blank with whoever you're most frustrated with today, the most angry with, the most annoyed with right now. Maybe it's a boss who doesn't respect you. Whoever claims to love God but hates their boss is a liar. Maybe it's a neighbor who's just determined to, you know, make your life miserable. They just constantly plow their snow into your driveway, you know, or plays their music too loud at late at night, or whose free-range chickens are always in your yard, or whatever. Like, whoever, <laughs> whoever claims to love God but hates their neighbor is a liar. What about someone who speaks poorly of you? Whoever claims to love God but hates that person is a liar. Whoever claims to love God but hates the person who votes for a Democrat is a liar. Whoever claims to love God but hates the person who votes for a Republican is a liar. Do you see where I'm going with this? understand that you may be frustrated and upset and disappointed in these situations that you face, but do you think God doesn't get frustrated too? You think God doesn't get disappointed too with humans? Yet he still extends agape towards us. Agape is when God looks into your heart, sees you in all of your frailty, sees you in all of your brokenness, sees you in all of your woundedness and responds, I see you as you are and I love you. What I'm learning is that if God is agape, when we yield to the leading of the Spirit of God, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and the heartbeat of God, agape, lives in us too. And for some of us, maybe it's like, a, feels like a really faint rhythm in there. 
we can hardly, like, really hardly believe that we even have the capacity to love like that. This year during the Super Bowl, uh, Toyota ran a commercial on the broadcast in Canada that featured no shiny new cars. Uh, don't you love those commercials? I'm like, what is this a commercial for? Uh, instead, it, it, it told a 60-second version of the story of Canada's most decorated winter Paralympic athlete. If you ever get a chance to watch uh, a competition like that with athletes with disabilities, you really ought to. You don't have to be a fan of sports to be inspired by humans. Uh, when I was 13, we attended the Pan Am wheelchair games that were in, um, they were hosted in Halifax that year. I won't tell you what year that was, but it was in the early 80s. And it was truly an awe-inspiring experience. In the Super Bowl uh, commercial, it features the McKeever brothers. Robin McKeever competed in the 1998 Winter Games in Nagano as a cross-country skier. And since 2001, he served as his brother Brian's sighted guide. Here's the, here's the commercial. Watch this. I, I love the footage shot from Ryan's point of view that captures what it might look like or feel like to train as a competitive athlete who experiences blindness, like weaving through the forest, listening to the sound of his brother's voice, developing his other senses so he can almost feel his brother's movements and mimic them through the trail, like listening, listen, listening constantly and learning how to follow. I think it's actually a really beautiful picture of what it looks like to yield to the Spirit of God. Like, we're not walking into our relationships alone. I don't have to figure out how to be more loving alone when I'm yielding my life to the Spirit of God, when I'm living in step with the Spirit, when I'm following someone who knows like, where they're going, right? I can trust the one who is leading me. It's like maybe you don't feel very loving right now or you'd have to admit that you know, maybe you're not doing your best job of displaying love to the people around you. Well, we can come to God and invite Him to grow that fruit of the Spirit in us, to grow agape in us. I can guarantee this. You are going to face someone this week where you're going to be called to extend love and it's going to be hard. So let me give you a couple things uh, that you're going to need to do in that situation. First of all, I would say that we have to admit to God that we actually lack the ability to show this type of love in our own strength. Let's just acknowledge our own weakness here. You just know you don't have it in you, and you need to pray. You need to ask God in this moment, I, I yield how I want to respond. Like, I surrender that to you. I ask that the fruit of agape would grow out of me to this person, towards this situation. And then secondly, I would say that in faith and obedience, then we have to demonstrate agape, trusting the one who's leading us and growing this inside of us. 
Like the greatest display of agape in human history is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He was so committed, so steadfast, so loyal to us that even in our brokenness, in our abandonment, in our sinful condition, he gave his life for ours, breaking the power and the penalty of sin so that we could know the agape love of our heavenly father. Like, let's just, just let that sink in for a minute. And it's out of that understanding of the love that Jesus has for us that we, in turn, display agape to the people around us. Like, think about when was the last time you loved someone where it was inconvenient for you? Oh, maybe you thought of something right away and it was recent. Or maybe, maybe it's hard for you to remember because... But here's the thing. I, I would say... Like today, perhaps like more than ever, being able to display agape love to the people around us is so important. And so I want to encourage you to open up your heart and your life to the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Allow God to produce agape in you and see how it affects the world around you. And if you're struggling and wondering, like, should I do this? Should I say this? Should I post this? Ask, ask this question, is there anything in what I say or what I do or what I write or what I post or what I believe or what I argue for that is not loving to God and loving to others? Jesus gave us this instruction in the Sermon on the Mount because it just gets harder, by the way. Matthew 5, verse 43. Because you know if I'm going to say Matthew 5, 6, or 7, it's going to be some hard teaching. Matthew 5, he says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. There's quotes around that. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So we all recognize the first part of that quote, right? Love your neighbor, you recognize that? It's from Leviticus. Like you just read that a couple days ago, I know, in Leviticus 19. It's not why you recognize it. Leviticus isn't exactly at the top of our reading list, right? We recognize it because more than once Jesus said the greatest command in all the Bible, and then he would quote Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then he would add, the second is like it. And then he would quote Leviticus 19 that says, love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the thing. Here's why love, I think this is why love appears at the, at the very beginning of Paul's description of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of the follower of Jesus. That love for God and love for others was central to Jesus' vision of how to be human. So Jesus is kind of quoting Leviticus 19 where the law says love your neighbor, but that hate your enemy part, that's not in there. Like that's not a quote from the law from the Jewish law, from anywhere in the Old Testament, but this had become a Jewish idiom that had kind of worked its way into first century culture and lingo. People would say things, oh, you know, you know, yeah, I know, I know, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And, and it, just in case we think we're off the hook here, the word for enemy in the Greek is a wide sweeping word that means Basically, any and all people you don't get along with. You're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> it's a pretty broad category, right? It can be a lot of people. So it's everybody from personal enemies to political and ideological opponents to enemies of America or Western civilization or of Christianity or whatever. Just, you know, the list goes on. So there's, a, there's actually a subtle shift here. In verse 43, it says, he's, he's, he's quoting this idiom where it says, Hate your enemy, singular. But then in verse 44, with Jesus, he's giving us a new command. He says, love your enemies, plural. As if Jesus is saying, okay, got this? 
You love all your enemies, all of them, no exceptions. You don't get to pick one enemy and think you're doing something. Love all of them. And the word that's translated love here, agape. Agape, it's about bending your will to the good of another person. Like even if it's ahead of your own, where, where you will their well-being ahead of your own, even if it costs you something, even, even if it comes at great cost to you. Oh, oh, listen carefully. To love your enemy is not to wink at their behavior or to tolerate it even, to act like evil or injustice or oppression or lying or cheating or manipulation or adultery or whatever. is like, hey, no big deal. You know, let's just be nice to each other. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because often the most loving thing you can do is to call out their behavior as wrong or hurtful, like for them as much as for yourself, right? But never with violence or with hate, rather with nonviolence and even more than that, with enemy love. That's what Jesus called us to. Like love for them as a fellow human being made in the image of God. So, wow, you're like, wow, I didn't think I could do this. Now I know I can't do this. So how, how do we go about this? Jesus had a few ideas and his first one is like profoundly simple, simple but not easy, and he just says, pray for them. And what he means is pray blessing. Pray for the, you're like, hey, I'm going to pray for them to change. That's not, no. I'm going to pray for that bus to, no. Pray for the release of good things from God into their lives. If there's evil, if there's oppression, if there's lying, then pray for repentance. Pray for healing. Pray for change, for transformation at a heart level. But pray for the good of your enemy. Because here's the thing. Often in praying for your enemy, and not always like all of a sudden and not all at once, but over time, there's a release of that hate, a release of that anger, a healing for your own hurt. And oftentimes, like, we've allowed other people uh, to have a power and an authority over our thinking and our feelings, right? And it's, uh, it's often people from our past, and we're still living back there. Like, we're stuck, and, and, and somebody from your past has a power over your, over your emotional health and your spiritual growth. That's not the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is freedom. To live in the moment with a love for everybody. So how in the world do you get there? Well, there's no easy answer to that. But one small step is to pray. And here's the thing. This is kind of what Jesus was saying. Like the mark of maturity. Like if you want to plot your life, right? Like if you want to know where am I on the journey from immaturity to maturity, from not like Jesus very much at all to a whole lot more like Jesus. If you want to plot where you are on a spectrum, it's actually fairly easy. The, you just map where you stand in relation to your enemy as this passage defines enemy, right? The less you love your enemy, the more immature you are. The more you love your enemy, the more mature you are. Because for Jesus, listen, love is the great litmus test. And if you do this, if you don't hate your enemy, but actually love your enemy and pray for them, like, does Jesus then promise that everything's going to work out, it's going to all be okay, and everybody's going to live together happily ever after? No. See, Jesus' invitation to us is not to a safe, secure, middle-class life in the United States of America. That's not his call to us. It's to what John Ortberg calls a spiritual greatness in the divine conspiracy of sacrificial love. That's what he's calling us to. 
Never once in the New Testament does Jesus make our benefit the goal of a relationship. He has a completely different agenda. His agenda is that we'd extend in the world that we live in the very same grace that is constantly extended to us. What was the grace that was extended to us? Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 5. He says, God showed his great love for us. How? By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God showed his love for us. There's something tragically wrong in the church where the message is unconditional grace to people who don't deserve it when we ourselves as individuals are not willing to dispense and extend that very same grace to everybody in our lives. Something wrong with that. That's the standard. Now, who's the person that you have the most difficult, ferocious time getting along with? Who's the person that's always on your case? Who's the person that you really think they have an overt, conscious agenda to wreck and ruin you, right? He says, that's your target. Now you've got to learn to love that person because perhaps you are the instrument through which I want to communicate to this world unconditional love, unconditional amazing grace, and unconditional forgiveness. So here's a question. What are you doing to turn your enemies into neighbors? Because the way of Jesus is to turn your enemy into a neighbor, even if it costs you, even if it scares you. That's the heart of God. Like what would happen in a community like ours where we live if a couple hundred people or so in a church like this, if those people in their personal relationships decided to get like, just go the full course with God and learn to love and embrace our enemies, like what would happen? I'm pretty sure you're with me on this because I want to like, be a part of a group where God feels free to show up where God feels free to work and to do uh, what he wants to do in our community. Uh, I, I want to be a part of that. Like, if I'm going to be a pastor, I want to pastor a, 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 that kind of group of people. People that have brought their personal values and their goals and their objectives into alignment, and together we're in alignment with what God wants to do so that God is free to do his work. Not so that people can talk about how great we are and how wonderful our church is, and so, they'd see, but they, so they would see how great and how gracious and how loving God is. Remember the last command Jesus gave his followers before his death, and he actually wasn't really known for his commands, but he said in John 13, we've, been in this, we've taught from this passage like four times in the last couple of months, he said, now I'm, I'm giving you a new commandment, here it is, love each other. Oh, how? Oh, just as I've loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not by preaching not by the great teaching, not by the creative programs, not by the great music, not by the giftedness, not by your facilities, not by the fact that you got up and got dressed and all came to the same place on a Sunday morning, not because of your bumper sticker, not because you pray, not because you sing, not because you give, none of that stuff. And yes, some of that's important, but it's none of that stuff. He said, if the world is going to know that you are my followers and if you're going to have any influence with them and bringing them along to follow me too, here's the one characteristic. You've got to love one another. It's always been our heart at faith community, that we could be a place where we could create space for everyone. Like regardless of our opinions, regardless of where we stand politically, regardless of where we stand on particular issues, that we could just create a space where we can extend that kind of agape to the people around us. This is about a community of love, for the, not for the sake of the community, for the sake of the world. This is a community of love where people love each other so that God can entrust to this community unbelieving overcoming, getting my life back together kind of people so that they can change and grow and because God knows it's in an environment of love that we change. 
The New Testament writers give us all kinds of examples of what loving one another looks like. I often refer to them as the one another passages in the New Testament. Fifteen times in the New Testament, we're instructed to love one another. But how? How is by doing all of the one another's in the New Testament. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Honor one another. Accept one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Be patient with one another. Be compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. And forgive one another. There's a reason why we've chosen to work through this teaching on the fruit of the Spirit right now. Because we need the Spirit of God to grow these things in us so that we can be better equipped to face the world that we're living in. We can be better equipped and more consistent in demonstrating to the people around us who Jesus is. So let's ask ourselves this question in the next few days. Is there anything in what I say, in what I do, in what I write, in what I believe, in what I argue for that is not loving to God and loving to others? then invite the Spirit of God to continue to grow agape love in you as we cultivate in our hearts a place for Him to do His work. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, we're going to play a song and we're going to take a couple minutes to just put this into practice for a couple minutes, okay? We're going we're to pray. You can sit right where you are. You can go to the prayer space. Uh, you can pray with someone if you choose to. Um, but we're going to pray for two groups of people. We're going to pray for our neighbors, our family, friends, loved ones, okay? You probably don't need a lot of direction on that because you're in their lives. You know what they need. And then we're going to pray for our enemies. And you're like, well, I don't have any enemies. Well, okay, then how about that difficult person in your life? Okay, you got one of those. That person that just makes life difficult for you in your family, in your workplace, in your extended relationships. And we're going to pray God's blessing on those difficult people in our lives, Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it challenges us. Thank you for the assurance that we're not on this journey alone, that we can rely on the work of the Spirit to grow this kind of fruit in us, the kind of fruit that shows us and shows the people around us who you are and what you're like. And we acknowledge today, even by saying that, that we have a responsibility to love people around us. And we invite you to do that work in us that's necessary to grow that love in us. Give us the capacity for agape love in our lives. That we would care, and care for and love the people around us in a way that reflects who our Heavenly Father is. I pray that we would be people who lean into the Holy Spirit, who cultivate space in our lives, fertile soil in our hearts where you can Grow the things that are really important to you and bring you glory. I pray for each and every person who's here today and is watching online, wherever they are in their journey with you, that they'd be reminded of your agape love for them. Steadfast, committed love that chases us down, welcomes us home, loves us into the people you want us to be. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and we pray that our unity may one day be restored, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our
Christians by our 